0: One, two, three, four. Pedagogy a go, go. Pedagogy, go, go, go. Hello, and welcome to Pedagogy a Go, go, a podcast about college faculty sharing what happens in their classrooms and why. This is episode four, Summer 11. And we are your hosts, Gina Turner and Tom O'Connor. Tom, huh? Gina, hey! <laughs> it's summer. It's,
1: it is summer. I was gonna say it's the summer doldrums, but you sound so happy that like it's like I feel like there's a cool breeze behind your back.
0: Well, you and know, I'm stuck in an Eddie. It's not a hundred degrees with a real feel of a hundred and eight anymore. So I think I'm actually not feeling the doldrums. I wilt though... like a
1: flower in eighty-five and
0: <laughs> I hear you. I'm with you, man. Um, and we've got. A week and a half until we have to be back on campus and so of course i might start putting my classes together <laughs> i'm kidding i'm about five percent right? done right yeah, yeah that's yeah. the
1: hardest part yeah you, you yeah face yeah. the blank
0: page exactly exactly so um so we are doing a special episode uh, as Tom said, a very special episode. <laughs> it
1: it's, it's is it's so. I, like I said, I said it's. It's. Are we jumping the shark if it's our fourth episode and we're already doing a quote unquote special episode? <laughs> but it's not a bottle episode. It's not a clip show. We're just peeling back the curtain to see the Wizard of Oz. That yeah. works. Yeah. That, so, that's so. Perfect. Wizards. Wizards. Yes. Wizards. wizards. Plural.
0: Uh, w- remember that comic strip, The Wizard of Odd. No. Do you remember that? No. Did I make that up?
1: It sounds great.
0: I think it was a thing. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're gonna try. We'll see if it, if it comes up on Google.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to be having a wonderful conversation with Jeff and Kelly, um, the uh, the the men behind the show, and uh, we're gonna be talking about what we wanted to accomplish with the show, and then you're gonna to get to hear their non-guilty pleasures as well as the one word that describes them and us in the classroom.
1: Yeah, we get put in the hot seat a little bit this episode. So if, <laughs> if you've been waiting for us to be grilled, this was the the right day to tune in.
0: <laughs> so hopefully you're drinking something cool in uh, in these uh, in these August days and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. one were to describe yourself as a teacher what would it be like the in the air out of your dashboard as you're driving your car
2: wasn't that like a thing smell a vision um like it was real right like yeah, you movie could go to theaters and yeah. stuff there. did they still do it
0: Roger uh, was it Roger Corman
2: Corman I don't know
0: it was it, it, was, it was some um movie director producer like of schlocky films introduced it but i Smell
2: thought it was it. like the like super hoity-toity movie theaters like you'd go there and you'd oh, sit no in right. those like plush like recliner chairs oh, that's possible.
1: this would have been like this is more like the 1960s mm-hmm. oh no no like no no that. no no this was, this
2: was like Oh, no, it was like it the nineteen nineties, maybe, to get okay. people into the movies. This is, you know, when movies were real
1: spectacles.
3: Um, like for the early horror films, like mm-hmm. Mary
1: Shelley's Frankenstein, they'd have like hired people. They'd be like faint during the movie, and they'd take pictures of them as they were being carted away, and th- they would then advertise that that this movie is so shocking
3: that you know
2: people were so gullible. I know. <laughs> and I'm sure well, they're that, not at all now. <laughs> well, no, I'm uh, yeah, I'm glad you say that because I I know that. Like when like historians go to write about like the period we're living in right now, I'm sure they're going to be like, "Wow, people were really gullible. Mm-hmm. Like they just would believe any old nonsense.
0: Which is so interesting because really then gullible is really just ignorant almost.
1: I was going to say it's more about mm-hmm. received knowledges, you know, like in terms of we are, we're all born into worlds where like if we're raised in, this is not to knock religion, but if we're raised in a particular religious household, you know, that's received knowledge that we get that at some point we either need to look elsewhere and, and reject in some way or, or just accept it over something
4: else. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the history should be more about the methods of mass deception. Ooh. Yeah, I think it's more about our means of being deceived than how gullible we are.
0: Ooh, what a great 200-level class that would be, like a <laughs> 200-level yeah. history class, you know? Like yeah. the, the paradigms of deception kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's true. As a
2: psychologist, I would expect you to be
1: talking about the means by which we deceive ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trying to think, like, how could we turn that then into, like, a whole like semester's worth of coursework? for students where they take like a history course where it focuses on this theme of like deception and then psychology, sociology, Mm. um, obviously English. Um, I took a great course on
1: paranoia, which was pretty close. The the way paranoia works in terms of the paranoid mind is all about self-deception, about fixating and then making everything map onto what you believe mm -hmm. to the exclusion of
0: rational thought.
4: Did you leave more, more paranoid than ever? <laughs> yeah, I did.
0: <laughs> are, are we recording? We are. We are. Yeah. So there's a book, and I won't say the name because it would be profanity. <laughs> um, but it's Bull S, Bull Star Star Star.
3: Mm-hmm. And it was
0: written by a professor at the University of Washington. Philosophy professor, right? Uh, I think so. I, I You know more than I do, it sounds like, but because I can't remember his name. But basically, that book would work really well, too, because mm. it's it's about how – People are able to pass on information to us Mm -hmm. that is faulty, and we eat it up, (laughs) basically. And sometimes
2: Um, inflicted on our students.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So I don't know, like how I don't know, like deep your math knowledge is, but I wonder if, like, like how would math fit into that theme of deception?
0: Like, well, there's the the quote I always use when I teach stats, the little bit of stats I teach, and I think it was Mark Twain who said it, is there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics. statistics. (laughs) So statistics. Oh, and you know, Josiah Mount has this great presentation he does about the presentation of data. So, you know, depending on how you scale the chart, Mm -hmm. you can make a difference look huge, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or you can make a difference look tiny. So just by skewing the X and Y, you know, the, the units of the X and Y axes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so, math can totally be used for nefarious purposes. <laughs> so a mathematician, though,
1: a pure mathematician, would say that numbers don't lie, right? Mm-hmm. But we lie with math all the time.
2: Yes. Oh, all the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all we need to do is just find someone from, like, another, like, non-humanities discipline so that we can round out that full semester's worth of work and yeah. write up a grant.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, podcast over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it does kind of lead us into talking about what the idea of this podcast is. But I wonder if maybe first, we, you know, we have been doing this podcast, Tom and I, as your hosts, but Jeff and Callie have been doing all the hard work behind the scenes, but they haven't a- actually gotten a chance to introduce themselves to the people listening to the podcast, so I'll go in alphabetical order. <laughs> Jeff, do you want to go ahead and give a little intro? You
4: went first name alphabetical order. I did go first
0: name okay, alphabetical order, because I had written down... As unusual
4: it is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's
0: true, because I had written down J and K. Right. So,
4: <laughs> yeah. so my name is Jeff Armstrong, and uh, I am a psychology faculty member here at Northampton Community College, and um, I'm, I'm more and more beginning to think of myself as sort of a, a pseudo-audio engineer. And I think I, I do my best to try and handle most of the, the technical stuff behind the scenes um, to bring the podcast to life.
0: Yay.
2: <laughs> it's marvelous, darling. Um, okay, so I guess alphabetically it's my turn. <laughs> so I am Kelly Allen, a professor of English here at Northampton Community College, and I am also the kind of co-founder and coordinator of the East 40 Community Garden, uh, which is uh, this space that we have here on campus to really kind of get into issues regarding uh, food production, um, but I guess more importantly, food culture, and discuss issues revolving uh, environmentalism uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be related to agriculture, but um, we really kind of flex our, our food muscles, if you will, <laughs> out there.
0: Yay. Uh, that's <laughs> me.
1: Well, in, so in Jeff spoke a little bit to his his role in this podcast, although in, in I would add, a very incomplete way, in addition to, to sound design and editing and kind of creating the polished product. Um the conversations we have with Jeff before and after, um, and sometimes the eyes you make at me during, um, you know, guide and craft this as much as anything else. So it, it's more, it rises above uh, sound production and design. Um, but Kelly, you, you didn't speak to to your role in terms of this podcast. And official as, title. As
0: yes. Oh,
1: most yeah. importantly. Podcast Godfather. <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: no. Dreamweaver.
3: So, Dreamweaver. You made us enough, no for couldn't um, <laughs>
2: So wait, what's showrunner? Is that I think that's what we're the, calling you. Yeah. The official term, yes. Still don't really understand what that's that. That's the means. term
0: of art in the teens, then, teens, anyway. And then,
2: uh, and then, podcast daydreamer. I think was the other podcast right. yeah. yeah. daydreamer. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, so since I don't know what those mean, I, I really don't know <laughs> what my role is, other than like I, I like to think of myself as kind of the the outside um, set of ears if you will, uh, to kind of process what is being said in this podcast and reflect that back on, on the two of you, Gina and Tom, and just kind of like help guide this thing along and see if we can, you know, stay, um, true to, or as near to true to, um, our, our mission as we can. So if if I can play psychoanalyst for a second, Oh, please do.
1: So really, in, you Tom, in terms of yeah, right. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's not going to be Gina. It's not going to be. We've already established
0: who the Freud fan is in the room.
1: Start <laughs> at the beginning, darling. You know. So no, but so like you you spoke about the mission. So so as a bit of history, so where did the idea for this podcast come from? Because it was
2: yours. Um. So I. I try to listen to podcasts as as often as I can because it's just um, as uh, a parent of two small children, like I don't get to uh, read as much as I'd like to. So um, I use podcasts like, you know, while I'm like doing the dishes or, you know, whatever kind of like mindless task uh, as a way to just kind of keep my my brain busy, um, but also as a a form of entertainment, if you will. Uh, So podcasts, are really big in my household <clears throat> but there's a friend of mine who uh, teaches at a college nearby that has this fantastic podcast and they would have uh, faculty or staff guests uh, for for each one and it was extremely entertaining uh, you got to learn a lot about this uh, these individuals but you they never got into their teaching. So here they are, this institution of higher education and like, they're not talking about like why they're there in the first place. Um, and that's, that's no knock of them. Cause again, it was a, it was a brilliant podcast. Uh, they just wrapped up, I think it was, uh, this past March. Um, and I think they maybe went on for, might've been like four or five seasons and it was it was great uh very professionally done um much like this one jeff um but just the fact that they didn't talk about the classroom was something that really kind of like dug at me and it's like you know here's here's like um something that should be talked about more um and i knew that uh here at northampton that uh, this is a prime place to be having that conversation so I just kind of came into Jeff's office I think uninvited as I typically do <laughs> yes. um, I, I find it's it's far more effective to kind of get things <laughs> done to just make the rounds if you will if you oh, do absolutely. it through text or you know email it, it's just it's too slow so i just walk around campus <laughs> go to the doors and then say hey i got this idea um so i just spoke with jeff with uh, jeff about it because you know i know that you have experience podcasting and here we are and we're talking about teaching um and i just think that it's um it's good work it's certainly work that needs to be done um and uh, it's certainly work that needs uh, that should be done from the community college level as well. I mean, granted, we're going to have guests coming from, you know, uh, from colleges and universities, um, and I'm really looking forward to those experiences. But um, I don't know. I think that in regards to higher ed, that um, community colleges are going to really play a significant part in um, the the positive direction we go in.
0: It's great. I'm. I was so excited that you wandered into my office and asked me if I wanted to be a part of this.
2: Um, I just sound like I'm some, like you know, wandering drunk. You know? <laughs> but a very productive wandering <laughs> exactly. daydreamer. I stick with daydreamer and not drunk. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, wandering minstrel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, for for me, one of the things I love about. Being involved in this podcast is being able to talk to other people about being in the classroom because, as I think came up in one of our previous podcasts, you're all by yourself in there most of the time mm-hmm. as the instructor, right? You've got the other, you've got the students there, obviously, but you're, you are the one who is um, in charge of what happens in that room and it can right. feel a little bit lonely <laughs> sometimes. So, um, so I, 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 for me personally, it's really, um inspiring and helpful and idea producing to talk to other uh instructors about all of this stuff so it's definitely been a highlight for me doing the podcast
1: trying to think how you approached me was it just an email
2: Jeff did it for me it
1: was a Jeff <laughs> it's
0: like a
1: trojan horse sign <laughs> in there yeah um but, go ahead sorry no I, I just to share like what Gina was saying I I was immediately like intrigued um of course I was wildly unqualified the first thing that happened when I was I went home you know my wife Becca you know I said hey I was asked to do this podcast she's like you've never listened to a podcast in your life you don't know anything about podcasts why the heck did they ask you I was like I don't know really I don't but um but the idea the the opportunity to talk about teaching to talk about the classroom which you're right we don't have enough opportunities just to do the the actual talking but I think my goal was can we talk about it differently. So, you know, sometimes like, you know, we might talk about our our classroom experience to a friend or a significant other um, who is not themselves a teacher, right? So they don't necessarily bring a shared perspective into it. Or conversely, you know, we crack a bottle of Chardonnay and and maybe don't talk about, you know, what we do in the best possible terms, because we've had a bad day. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this was an opportunity to talk about those bad days in a realistic way, to lay ourselves and them vulnerable so that we have more better days and that we talk about, you know, education and its possibilities and working with students in, in as positive a manner as possible about what we can be doing, what we want to be doing. right? And every new person that we bring in just brings a new perspective. And, you know, and I don't know what it's like to, to listen to this podcast, but to sit here and participate in it, um, it it makes me appreciate what I do more and more every day and, and expands the possibilities of what that can be.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Jeff, you are sitting and listening to the us record these things and then have to put them together. So, of course, you listen to it more than anyone else in the room, I think. Probably. Um, do you feel like we are accomplishing anything? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, when we had that first conversation with uh, Sharon, the first recording with Sharon, I mean, I knew I was given Kelly Allen, who was in the room with us. Looks like we've got something here. I really think that we're on to something. <laughs> um, you know, she was just so inspiring, and I think the questions that we had put together to ask her really got to the heart of, you know, um, what drove her and and the impact that she had on this community, and and you know, her ability ability to articulate that, and then us capturing it. Mm-hmm. I just thought there's something really meaningful and valuable there. So, um, absolutely. Well,
0: yeah. oh, I I really like that because. I, I feel like we are um like we we value Sharon so much yeah. and it was an opportunity for us to share how much we value her right. and I hope that everyone I mean we've talked to 3 people so far but I hope all 3 of those people are really getting the sense of how much we value them right. mm-hmm. um and and their unique contributions and ability and charm and and intellect and um, creativity and all the things that they've shared with us when, when, uh, when they've talked to us. So I, I hope they hear this. <laughs> yeah, Gina, mm. it's
4: a good thing my answer to your question was yes. By the way, genuinely, because <laughs> if it was no,
1: this was, was going to be a very uncomfortable episode.
4: <laughs> I think we're wasting our time.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, this could have been fascinating, though. <laughs> Um, so what else do we want to do with this podcast? What do we, what, what else do we want to see ourselves accomplishing with the podcast that we haven't done yet?
2: Well, I think that we need to, we need to listen some more. And what I mean by that is, um, we, we need to, you know, just keep bringing in, in guests as, as we have planned. We, um, I would like to see us just kind of Collect um, this this body of information, if you will, from the the shared stories from um, our colleagues here at Northampton, and then also from colleagues at other colleges, and just kind of like find out, like you know, what's going on in higher ed. Mm. Um, and then after maybe like a, a full academic year of that, so I don't know how many months a full like, I should know this, uh, <laughs> but after a full academic year of You know listening to um the the shared stories of of our colleagues you know you know maybe kind of at this time next year the four of us can you know step back and be like okay so what is it that's being said and then hopefully we can use that information to kind of like um have themed years on Mm. some of the 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 bigger issues that are coming out um and yeah I think that's the direction I would like to see this podcast going in
1: thank you for using the word I love that you use the word shared stories twice because mm-hmm. um, I think about the project that we're doing very much in in the vein of narrative and story and one thing that we're doing is is collecting stories in almost the studs turkle like fashion mm. or in inviting people in to, to share their experiences you know within the classroom the formative experiences that led them to be into the classroom and 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 stories then don't exist in isolation. Like stories produce dialogue, we reflect on them within within the podcast, and then and then I know we reflect on them afterwards. You know, Gina said we've we've spoken with three people so far, three faculty members. But beyond the podcast, I've spoken to so many people about the people we brought into the podcast mm-hmm. who listen to it. And I have this kind of fantasy that however many people listen to this podcast, if they're enjoying it, they hear those stories and then they share them, they pay them forward. They share those stories and they they invite other people to, to listen to them. So I mean, I, I see that as a big part of the project. <laughs>
2: yeah. I um, should have took notes and, and brought them in with me. But there's uh, like one of the kind of the the driving uh, like pieces of information that um, I brought into the to this podcast and why I wanted to do it it's from and this kind of like builds off of what you're just saying with the shared stories it comes from uh, bell hooks teaching to transgress uh, and she has this one chapter and again I can't remember what it is but it's it's about uh, mm-hmm. uh, creating theory uh, like and who gets to, Like, who gets to do that? Um, Like, who is in a position of authority uh, for theorizing, like, parts of, you know, our our lives, and but also how education works? And again, if I'm remembering this correctly, because it's been years since I've read this, um, but... Uh, one of the arguments that she made is that uh, quite often what we see in the world of academia is that those who are theorizing uh, about how education works are those who aren't necessarily practicing uh, that discipline. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hoping that we can get from this podcast is that we get to hear from the people who are doing the actual work and then allowing them or, you know, creating this space, if you will, that allows them to then be those who create the theory. Mm. Um, so like they're the ones who are, are, who are creating knowledge, if you will, uh, that will then help kind of inspire others um, or help just others make sense of their lives, you know? So hopefully Mm -hmm. there's some things that are happening that we heard from um, our previous guests where, you know, a listener's like, wait a minute, that's exactly what's going on in my classroom, okay? Mm -hmm. I thought Mm -hmm. I was, you know, as you all said before, I thought I was alone in this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, quite often, the only people that we get to talk uh, about teaching with are those who evaluate us, like um, our deans, and, uh, you know, sometimes maybe a, a senior faculty member, And maybe, like, a friend or a partner. Um, I mean, I guess we could go to, like, you know, rate my professor and see what our students are saying about us. But, you know, um, I don't recommend that. Uh, So I I just think that this is um, a way to kind of, like, I don't know, break down that loneliness, if you will, you know.
0: (laughs) I, well, I love two things that you've said. One of them is this idea that we would take themes we've heard throughout mm-hmm. the, a year of doing the podcast and then create content or programming based on that. I love that idea so much. I think that's so awesome. And then the other thing um, is one thing that has struck me about each of our three guests is that they each really have a strong philosophy of how they want to present Mm. the information Mm -hmm. in the classroom. Like there's something really important about the way they frame what they talk about. Um, Because Charlie really, you know, homed in on this idea of how he wants to talk about a, a concept that is a social concept, but from a biological perspective, race. And, and I just thought that was so cool, right? To, to, have this different lens on, on, uh, on a topic that can be so fraught. Um, and so it's, it's something that I try to do in my classes and I think more and more try to sort of come up with the, the kind of overarching lens that I'm shining the information through to contextualize it. Mm-hmm. So it's so fun to hear the different contexts <laughs> that people use. Yes. Yep. To to uh, in in which to teach, mm-hmm.
1: it's very cool. I'm reflecting on loneliness. You use that word, no? But
0: <laughs> but it it
1: I think the classroom for being a vibrant social space is a kind of solitary space for the mm-hmm. teacher alone at the front of the classroom or in a circle with their students. There is something solitary in the way we reflect and process what we're doing, um, and this affords us opportunities for new connections. I think between other faculty and other interested members who are interested in
2: how we we teach. Yeah, I mean, especially like at a community college where, you know, so when you look at how we're evaluated, it's it's teaching, college service, and then I think professional development. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Like that teaching part is such a strong part of like who we are supposed to be that... Um, I think in some ways, like, when we are in the classroom, like, there can be that sense of um, intense vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Because, like, we could be, like, you know, our, our harshest critics, if you will, but if we're not getting kind of any... Uh, I guess, like useful feedback other than that, like sometimes crazy voice in the back of our (laughs) head, um, that, that can be unhealthy. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I'm glad you said that because it can be really painful. You know, I mean, you are vulnerable, um, Kelly and I just were in a panel for the Smart Start orientation this summer, which, um, if you're not at NCC, is an orientation for, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, for first-generation college, new college students straight from high school? Or is it... Um, is,
2: I think it's... F- I'm not sure how strong the first-generation part is, okay. but it's um, it's typically um, students uh, who... who from whatever, like, information-gathering process the college has done that these are students who are at risk. Okay. Um, So, again, I don't know how they deem that, but... um, I think somebody
0: told me once, and I forgot. <laughs> so we will fact check that mm-hmm, and put mm-hmm. it on the the webpage. <laughs> yeah. I flinched when you said "at risk." I have I have like a,
1: a reaction to that word, but it, you're not you're not incorrect, and that's mm-hmm. certainly the way that, that those students are talking about in in the literature. And that's one of the things I think that we here can kind of reframe. I, I think it might also be. I thought I also thought it, it was. Largely first generation students, and some of the identifiers were from testing, and if they were coming in at a double developmental level, then they were kind of flagged because we know that students who come in with math and reading and writing needs um, have a long way to go to 100 level coursework. Not mm-hmm. not always, I mean, but and not all 100 level courses, but many of them that they'll need to get to the degree. And so it's that much harder, and the numbers associated with those students are, are not great statistically. We'll hope that that okay. statistic is a lie, but it probably isn't because we, we watch them, and we, we know that we lose a lot of those students.
0: Well, and that's really interesting, too, because um, as, again, me not knowing exactly who I was talking to, sadly, I'll admit it. <laughs> Um uh, there was one student, well, there were two students in particular who I was really pitching my honors intro psych class to because they seemed really, really interested and engaged and kind of their eyes were lit up while we we were talking about what it takes to be a good student and they were asking a lot of questions. And I kind of forgot the reason I brought up the Smart Start orientation in the first place, but I'm kind of glad that I went off on this, that we went off on this tangent um, because I think it does tie back into what we were talking about, which is the feedback you get from students. You know, mm-hmm. you, you would hope, you know, there's all the movies to serve with love and and – I don't know. That's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh you know where like the teacher makes a difference mm-hmm. and uh-huh. everybody loves them and at the end of all with love, you know, Lulu sings a song to Sydney Poitier. No one has ever sung a song to me at the end of the semester yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That yeah, is true. Growth yeah. mindset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um but um I I was also thinking about not only are we not necessarily getting, you know, direct explicit feedback, but we also have to hold that space for our students. You know, we have to keep it safe. We have to keep it on track. We have to keep it, um, you know, balanced. Um, We have to leave room for spontaneity and questions. Um, And all this is kind of getting me thinking about One of our fun questions that we always ask our guests, which is, can you describe your teaching in one word? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm about to start pointing at people and asking the people in this room. Before you do,
4: if we could just acknowledge Gina's (laughs) incredible ability to transition (laughs) and knowing knowing that it was time. I mean, it was time for us to transition. I'm calling it out, and I'm, but I, I'm just saying it's it's incredible. I listen to a lot of. I appreciate of podcasts. it so much.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I listen to far too many podcasts, but thank you very much, Jeff. Um, so back to my transition, <laughs> um, but I also I'm I'm giving you a, a a help maybe maybe when you think of that word, think about how you hold space in the classroom. Like, what is a word you use for the way in which you? Hold space. I'm I'm spinning in my chair and I'm gonna point at Kelly.
1: Okay. <laughs> what do you imagine the Doppler effect of oh, like, no. you know Jeff listening to how that sounds as you <laughs>
2: I just really enjoyed the visual. Yeah, Gina for, did for a really color in her chair um, for those of you. Uh, now I need okay, so two things. First is what do you mean by hold space?
0: Good question. Thank you. Um, I don't know because I had this image of the teacher in front of the the space of the classroom and mm-hmm. kind of needing to make sure that those folks on the left in the back are not asleep and the person, the two over here on the right are not chit-chatting so much that it's distracting me and their neighbors and mm-hmm. that the person on the laptop is not, you know, doing their taxes. And and uh, and also that the person in the middle, in the front row, isn't dominating the conversation mm-hmm. and that I'm not dominating the conversation. So, like, it's like popcorn or whack-a-mole. <laughs> Maybe that's the space. So what is
1: the question again? So wait, is, it, is it one word to describe yourself as a teacher – and also like how you occupy I know,
0: I just, I rambled space. for
1: far too long. Because I'm like, that's a tall order, I know. that's uh, tough.
0: I was trying to kind of give you a, a a visualization and then think of a word for yourself in that space. I think whack
2: a I think you, you got it with whack-a-mole. <laughs> I used to love whack a That's hyphenated, so that I th- think is actually one if word. One word, that's <laughs> right, yeah. Wow, <laughs> whack-a-mole, that is... Awful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, but I did say two things. So the so one thing, thank you for the clarification. Yeah, question mark after that word. But then the second thing is, um, I do want to. After we're done with this, if you, Gina, the master of transitions, if you could help us transition back to um, what Tom was talking about earlier with uh, at risk, I would really like to know why that is problematic. Um and I know that you really want to answer that right now, but you can't. Uh, so, um Jeff can edit it back. Just plug it back <laughs> in. <laughs> um, cause, like, because I, I want to learn um like like why that is. Um I'm fascinated with language, but um so help with that, Gina. So here we go. Okay. All right, my one word um for how I hold space uh <laughs> far out is uh learner. Mm-hmm. Um and then I guess I have to explain that, don't I? Mm-hmm. So, what I what I try to um, achieve in in this shared space uh, that um, our students and myself call the classroom is that uh, I am there to learn from them as much as they are there to learn from me. Uh, there's like a lot of like Aryan like pedagogy in that uh and i think uh once i i'm able to make that clear um where they they know that I'm, I'm being serious that i really want to know um what it is that they can bring to the to the table it then becomes this what i have experienced to be like this very beautiful um kind of just i don't know growth space if you will where um uh, whether or not a, um, student feels that they understand the material, um, of the course, they still feel that they, um, can provide something of value. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course, it's kind of like my responsibility, um, as you know, a member of this shared environment to kind of like navigate then these, you know, very kind of like tricky conversation in a way that we are achieving, you know, our our outcomes. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think that that can really be done without, you know, laying myself out first as, um, as an equal, Mm -hmm. uh, to my, to, I shouldn't say my students to, you know, my, my fellow classmates, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, so yeah, learner. Cool.
4: Everybody's looking at me, <clears throat> which you didn't I guess that means I'm next to guns. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I, I was thinking about this before we started recording, and I don't know that this necessarily <laughs> addresses Gina's reframe, but um, so I'll just go with what I was originally thinking about. Um, I think for about as long as I can remember, I've always thought about my approach in the classroom um, as being similar to that of a performer. And so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll think of myself as a, as a performer in the classroom. Um, I don't know when I when I get up in front of the class. I, I want to be so exciting and engaging and interesting and meaningful and um, and invaluable to them that they, they can't look away. That they have <laughs> that they, they have to keep their eyes locked on whatever is going on in the classroom. And it's an improvisational performance. It's a it's an audience interaction based performance. Um, but but it I. It is always, as Kelly Allen takes a photo of us. So when you see it on the website, that was the moment right now when Kelly took the photo. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I, I, do, I, I do often feel like I'm, I'm performing with and, and for my class. In addition to that, you know, after a class is finished, I feel exhausted. Mm. You know, like I really feel like I go in there and I give it my all. And then, and then you know, afterwards uh, I'm pretty much spent. So if I have to go sit in a meeting, I feel bad for the people who are uh, who are in the meeting with me. That doesn't really, I think, capture some of the other things you talked about, Gina, with kind of balancing the class and 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 picking up on certain cues. But but uh, just in terms of my initial approach, I want to go in there and I want to bring really good positive energy um, that's genuine. Uh, and 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 keep students engaged and excited, and I fail at that probably quite a bit. But that's that's how I'm entering the classroom.
0: Well, I just know from the the parade of students who are always coming to your office hours that you do not fail. You <laughs> are par- you succeed. Parade. <laughs> <laughs> I they enjoy have, hyperbole, so I'll, I'll take. They have floats and <laughs> majorettes. <laughs> um, but um, I, I think that being a performer in the classroom actually does take into – you didn't have to take into consideration my whack-a-mole metaphor, but, <laughs> um, but it does because a good performer has to be aware of their audience. Yes, yes. So that oh, oh, the best performers have that very strong int- intuition into what's going on in yep. their audience. So. Absolutely. Um, great. All right, Tom. I see how it is. <laughs> so, I'm saving the best for last. <laughs>
1: My desire, of course, when asked any question like this, is to be as cheeky as possible. So like one word, trouble, you know, like because I like (laughs) to problematize your assumptions. It's your middle name. Or, you know, or rock on tour because I see myself like I I share Jeff's um, image, like in terms of myself in the classroom as performing and as a teller of stories and trying to engage and rope students into that experience. Um, But if I had to pick my one word. I'll be myself and then immediately problematize my choice. If You ask me to think in terms of space, and I would say Sherpa. And so I want to put a little asterisk by that, because I'm not referring to an indigenous Himalayan people who are exploited by a bunch of rich white folk who want them to take them to the top of a mountain so they can snap a selfie for their Instagram account. Hmm. I'm referring to like a lay person's use of the word Sherpa as, as a person who, who is a guide, who kind of carries all these tools and and things that sustain a journey on their back. And, and as a Sherpa, what I need to co- have coming into it is the lay of the land, right? So this is my physical space is the class as mountain that we summit with our students. Um, and the Sherpa is like many things like they, they, they show students the different ways up the mountain, the different possible paths that they have. And they give students, ideally I try to give students tools to accomplish different tasks that are going to get them further along in their studies and, and accomplish the learning outcomes that I want for my for my class. But the reason I, I kind of like this idea of the Sherpa, a Sherpa is a guide, but it's not about the Sherpa, the, the real explorers, the real journeymen, you know, and the person who the journey is most important for, or the mountain climbers, right, which are the students. So my gut kind of as sherpa, I guess I kind of want to approach each class as I've done my research. You know, like for me, it's 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 less about the journey of the class and it's it's vocational, right? My, being a sherpa is, is my job, and so I need to, to know the landscape. I need to to gather the materials for the students and make sure I always have them with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it's the students who are. Directing their own journey as much as possible, I'm there to kind of help them say, well, look left or right. You know, well, now that we're seeing this formation, well, I'm really mm-hmm. diving deep into this metaphor. I apologize. <laughs> you know, but now that we see this rock formation, you know, how would you summit it? Mm-hmm. How, how would someone differently able to summit it? Mm-hmm. You know, how might those of us in this space think differently about this problem before us? So, Tamokana Sherpa, <laughs> but love. not in a racially insensitive way. <laughs>
0: Preach. <laughs> um, awesome. And your word? I'm so word? happy right now. I'm just so <laughs> happy um, listening to you guys and doing this podcast. And the
1: spotlight's now on you. <laughs> One word, Gina. I
0: Well, I I a word popped into my head because I, I hadn't thought of a word before this. And then a word popped into my head. And then I thought, mm, I don't want to use that word. And then I I and I can't think of another word, so I'm just going to use it. And it's gonna sound weird. Lover. <laughs> and not, in a weird way. Exactly. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. <laughs> but um so for I'm teaching online this summer, I'm teaching Intro Psych this summer. And long story short, um, I have incorporated incorporated videos into the class because I had to. <laughs> um and it's turned out to actually be really fun. So I give my students the opportunity to record a video. They have to record a little video about something related to the class. And the last videos they did, they had to talk about their – this is turning into longer than it needs to be – but they had to talk about their character strengths, which is a thing you can do on this website – Google VIA, V-I-A, character strengths. Jeff is nodding his head. Mm-hmm. All yeah, of the exactly, psychology excellent. people love doing it. Yeah. Um, and you find out your top five, you find out your your strengths, right? Um, the things that you bring to the table that you can use to succeed in life.
1: Is this similar to like a Clifton strength?
4: Part? There's yeah. a similarity,
0: but yeah, yeah. It's it's based in work by Martin Seligman, who's a really important figure in positive psychology. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I highly recommend it. It's fun to take the If you like taking an online And it's free. Quizzes. Um, and like it's free. Clifton Strengths Finder. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's Clearly, free. Clifton's not a sponsor of the
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, so anyway... Uh, I asked them to show me their st- character strengths in action. And so I showed them my character strengths in action, which was a stack of library books. <laughs> because I can't remember what number it is, but love of learning is one of my character strengths. I I I love I love psychology. I think it's so interesting and cool and fun and funny and weird and disturbing and I just love Sharing it with people and talking to people about it, and so I want my students—they're not going to love it as much as me because you know I'm—I'm—it's a, a little crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want them to find something to love. I want them to find something to love in my class, in their life. Mm. I want to find something to love in them. I want them to find something to love in me. I want. All of us to find things to love every day, and that's what I think love of learning means, and what learning should mean is to find that thing you know, you mentioned it, Tom, the growth mindset. It means you're always looking to grow, and I think that love I sound so cheesy right now. No,
1: I, I will have all you need is love by the Beatles stuck in my head <laughs> for the rest of the day.
0: <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> But uh, but love is nurturing and it helps things grow. I'm not crying,
3: really. Polly. You're crying. Stop it. <laughs> Shut
4: up. Um, <laughs> it kind of reminded me, by Damn. the way, of Kelly Allen at Smart Start when I've been on the panel with him before, and you've uh-huh. talked about love in the classroom.
3: Oh, yeah, I didn't do that this
2: so, year. No, but
4: know. that's. But I'm just saying. So there's a lot of love in this room. Aww. I think
3: yeah. I got
2: yeah. so angry at them taking the devices away that I didn't talk about love
0: what devices
2: you didn't see that when we went in there and they're like all of their cell oh. phones were in in a box oh. so they took their those kind of teachers
3: yeah oh, I'm not that there's anything <laughs> wrong, wrong with that, that. <laughs> I 40% of our, our audience just went click <laughs>
2: I didn't know it was that kind of part. <laughs> no, but um, dang. No, because, like, know, like, as soon as you said lover, like, I... Like, you so got really Mar- comfortable. Well, no, 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 totally <laughs> not at all. Uh, so there's a, a book, uh, The Lover by Marguerite Terrain. Um It's I, th- I hope I pronounced her last name correctly. Can you say the
4: name one more time? I really enjoy the, the way you said her name.
2: <laughs> Dura?
0: Okay. Oh, okay.
2: Now I can hear it. D-U-R-A-S, I think. I don't know. So um, so I thought of that book and I was like, oh, like, well, where is she going with this? With this <laughs> image that's in my mind of this, you know, young, like, I think she was Vietnamese woman. Um but then I started thinking about, and this is how my brain works, so look out. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is run by a crazy person. Um, a wandering minstrel. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> the, that can't play an instrument. Uh, there's the, um, so that text was part of this um, other like group of fantastic uh, novels I had to read when I was an undergrad Um, In this class, it was 20th century European literature. Mm -hmm. And a majority, if not all, of the texts in this class had like this lover character. Um, So then as you're, you know, as I started to understand um, like what you meant by lover um, and then kind of like juxtapose that with kind of, My, you know, imagination running with like all these texts that I had to read. Which, by the way, um, I'm going to take a slight detour here. Where uh, that class, so um, I think it was like a 300 level uh, class for undergraduates. um, It was 15 novels that we had to read in this class. But I mean, they're short, kind of like. You know like the art nouveau kind of things i mean some of them were pretty challenging like you know we had to read uh some robe Gruyere, and it was intense but i learned then that okay students are very kind of pliable you know so you could just like if you think that there's just too much it's never 15 like you know french in german novels tough um but um so anyway (laughs) so high bar (laughs) so um but i I love the book but so um you know i'm thinking uh what's that tom i need your help here uh thomas Mann's. um Thank you. Okay. So, like, you know, there's there's oh, a lover. Good. There's... Who needs Google? We've got Tom. <laughs>
3: it's in a Siri. Hey, Tom. <laughs>
2: English majors assemble. Okay. So, um, you know, so there's, like, uh, a lover character in that, and then there is uh, this other one, Jules and Jen. But I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of, like, you know, like, what is the role that the lover plays in kind of how the the narrative arc mm-hmm. shapes itself, mm-hmm. um, how kind of the, the protagonist kind of evolves over the story. Um, so I'm just trying to think of like, you know, how is it, you know, and again, this is, you know, we who kind of practice the art of teaching, like, you know, how is it that we can maybe use this, this concept of the lover to really kind of understand Um, what it is that we do in the classroom and maybe use these, you know, 20th century European literature, like texts as a way to kind of like see ourselves in a different way. So in what way are we this young, like Vietnamese woman, or how are we that that young Italian boy in A Death in Venice? So... Can I quickly, like, because I'm
1: I'm in love with this love discussion. (laughs) And and so I'm going to make a request of Jeff and ask that that a a video accompany what I'm about to do, because it's going to be very impressive, of Rodney Dangerfield at the end of Back to School. When he does the double Lindy something or other. Oh, yeah. So one, the, 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 the triple Lindy. The triple, yeah. the triple okay. Lindy okay. off of the diving boards. Because I'm going to try to, to move from your love to your love to at-risk students right now. Ooh. Mm. Let's okay. See if, let's see if I can do it. So when, some of what you're speaking of is there's a lovely word from critical theory. Uh, and I came across it from... Uh, a queer theorist whose name I I don't remember. I only read a few articles by him and he had a a lovely... You're starting vague here, Tom. I know. I'm starting vague. (laughs) And so, and and, uh, it was called Identificatory Performativity. But... I know. (laughs) I I totally... And I'm not making this I up.
3: I am Identificatory
1: performativity <laughs> is, is, but is ultimately what kind of what you're speaking about, which is, which is a model that I think we can model for our students. And, and we often do this through literature, which is to ask our students to identify in a, a really fundamental way with characters like these, these lovers that you're speaking about from very different backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, um, and their own stories. Again, I'm coming back to stories. I'm, I'm wrapping it all together here. Um, but I think we have to embody love in the classroom also in a, in a different, in a more generalized way. And so I'm going to say something potentially controversial, which is that if, if you do not love teaching and part of loving teaching is caring about your students then you can't be a great teacher. You can't even be a really good teacher. That you have to love to be in that classroom to try to to reach someone to care about their success and to care about what you're teaching. That it has to have meaning or at the very least use value that you have to see its worth and, and convey that. Because mm-hmm. when I think we lose that love, we stop teaching care and compassion or embodying it in our teaching practices. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me to why so why I flinched at at-risk students, which mm-hmm. is not not that they're not at risk. Um, Gina spoke about the two students who sh- she was having a conversation with, who she wanted to recommend her intro, um, her honors intro mm-hmm. to psych class, and I want to be so my only issue with at-risk is not that as a designation. It's true if you're coming in with double developmental needs, if you are a first-generation generation student, um, that your class, your race, all these are markers that we have metrics for to, 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 to say how, quote-unquote, at risk you are. And that may be true to some regard in terms of the numbers, but I don't think we can approach our students that way. I think it's really important that that the double developmental student with a real passion for psych comes in and we say, hey, we're going to get you the coursework you need, whether it's an, an O something, right? So not a hundred level course to get you the skills so that at the end of it, you're getting A's in those classes. And we're going to get you a letter. and We're going to get you into that intro to psych course because you are and can be an, an honor student. And we sometimes forget when we talk about at-risk students that those can actually be the most exceptional students. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a, a lens, call it like even a lens of love, if you will, that does see them differently, which is that we have to find ways to transpose the strengths that they have in their lives that they have not associated with academics. Mm -hmm. So it could have been struggling financially. It could be taking care, care of a parent or a sibling at home. It could be surviving terrible trauma, but all of those, you know, even terrible things are by their persistence, by their being here defines a great strength of character and will in them and we as ed- as loving educators, I think, need to identify that by getting to know our students and then translate that into what we see as the academic strengths that we need from our students. And there is a way to do that. And sometimes it's through a developmental path. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be through a lot of the models now are sidecars where we put them into the 100 level and we give them the developmental needs alongside of it. Um, and I think every student is different and there's there's arguments for both of those paths. But... Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if sure if that was a triple Lindy or not. But I did. I want to <laughs> no, return well, to the the at risk. But I, I think well love is a way to to do it. And the the judges are
0: it. holding up eight point five, eight, eight point five. Damn, well, Rushy got straight. I, damn, Rushy yeah. gave me a two. <laughs> um, I do. I want to just say quickly um, about if you don't love being in the classroom, you can't be a good teacher only the only thing i wanted to say is there are different ways of loving being in the classroom like there are so i think that you know my way of loving being in the classroom might be very different from someone who you know loves being in the classroom because they know how important it is to have what good welders in that i don't i don't even and I know want anyone to clarify, in particular i sometimes
1: hate being in the classroom <laughs> when i know that i'm not doing what i want right yeah. or like it doesn't mean that you they're always not, have to love they're not doing the what
0: they should be doing mm-hmm. right you know sometimes it's rough because the students aren't showing up i think you so. to,
1: i was just saying you need to love what we do even yeah. on the worst days even when we hate what we do it's it, it's family, right? Value it's, what we do. Yeah, value what we do. I mean, and, and a person who who hates teaching could be a great lecturer, but that great lecturer, if they're not coming into it with a love of wanting to to change and affect lives, mm-hmm. they're never going to be a great teacher. Even if they can, even if they're a masterful lecturer, I think that's that's a personal. I said it was a controversial
2: thought. <laughs> not everyone has to agree with me. Um, okay, so I don't at least for this. Podcasts. I I do not believe um, like what you said about love is controversial in any way, um, because like part of the conversations that um, uh, Jeff and I had uh, prior to you know giving this thing the green light was um, like the the absolute necessity for um, for positivity mm-hmm. uh, in these conversations. Um, because – and I'm sure that, you know, all of our, you know, listeners out there uh, will will find what I'm about to say familiar, where, like, there's those whom we work with that any time that we, like, see them, it's, like, just negativity in, in regards to, like, who their students are. Um, like, you know, maybe negativity towards, like, administration, their colleagues, whatever – And that's not helpful, Mm -hmm. like, to think that, you know, our students are just a bunch of um, just, I don't know, like, kids who um, don't respect, like, what's happening in, in the classroom. They don't understand the value of education. Like, a lot of these, like, negative words of, like, you know, can't and don't, and it's I don't think it's helpful mm-hmm. um, a uh, for for like you know ourselves as educators but it's also not helpful for creating the 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 positive relationship that I think is necessary to to make that knowledge building happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, like and I need to you know be careful uh, with how I explain this next part because I don't want, uh, to create this this false like sense that um, there's a filter in this podcast that we're not like really kind of like telling it how it truly is, but like one of the reasons why uh, Jeff and I sought out the two of you as hosts for this podcast is because we know that you two um, are positive people, um, but you also seek out positivity. Mm. Um, so that was like one of the reasons and then the other reason is you both have amazing voices uh, so uh, so again uh, like why thank like, you <laughs>
3: Gina you're amazing um,
2: so so again Tom like I I don't think that again in this podcast that um, love will ever be be controversial <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like I um, is. Because, Gina, as soon as you mentioned Lover, like I have just been feeling like just gooey, amazing. And I want to go. I still have all of those books from that class. I'm going to pull them all out and I'm going to find the lover in every single one of them. Um, so, yeah.
1: Well, here's the I, don't know, I know we need to move on, but the, there is a, the one critical thing that I have to say. So if we're going to not put the positivity filter on it for a second.
2: Sure. Far away.
1: Which is and and, and I, I'm gonna spin it in a positive way because I always see the possibility as being potentially positive. But we all know people who've burnt out, who no longer care about what they're doing. They've they've if you will, they've lost the love, they've lost their reason for being here. And so, you know, Ooh, and, and we all and and we are always in danger of that, right? A, a couple bad weeks, you know, or something else going on or stress overloading. Mm-hmm. It can happen to anyone. It, it doesn't make them a bad person because that they they they've gotten to that point. So here's where I think the community of what we're trying to establish can help, which yes. is how yes. can mm-hmm. we create connections to make them remember why they loved what they do in the first place because Mm -hmm. they're never too no one's ever too far gone Mm -hmm. um and so i mean that's my hopeful spin but there is the the critical the flip side of the coin of what i was saying is that those who don't our students know it they smell, they're, they're, they're like young kids. They know when someone is putting on a show mm-hmm. for them. You don't
2: even have to um, be a young kid to smell. No, that I, but, I know. I mean, but the, like in order to, to make that happen, to, to help make that change in our colleagues, you know, like that change, w- which, you know, I think that we believe that they want in themselves. Like, I, I'm sure that people don't want to go to work feeling crappy about it mm-hmm. but in order to make that change you must have like that very strong positive foundation and that's what i'm hoping that we've established here at least with this team um that we have that positive foundation that like even when things are at their darkest we are going to find a way to sherpa our way <laughs> through
0: well and i i um i i hope also that we are giving concrete ideas or at least sparking concrete Mm, ideas that maybe someone never thought of doing before, that that person who's like, I cannot face going into the classroom, (laughs) maybe they're like, oh... Maybe if I tried this thing <laughs> yeah. that Shanita yeah. mentioned. Yeah. That mm-hmm. could actually, mm-hmm. you know, change change the direction of the classroom. Oh. So.
4: You're you're sharing your strengths video idea? Concrete idea that I probably will try at some point. It's, so, yeah, so yeah. far
0: I haven't I haven't watched them yet cuz they were due on Monday, but I've I've seen I'm looking forward to watching this the students. So, I did one uh, for operant conditioning where I showed me training my dog and then students showed themselves train you know, training their dogs with rewards. And then a couple of students showed themselves training their toddlers, <laughs> It was fantastic.
4: Which is absolutely what we do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, Kelly, once again, I'm so glad that you came back to this idea of the lover, the Sherpa, the entertainer, the learner, right? I said all four of us because it just makes me think that we are all cards in a deck, right? And that there is a multitude of cards in that deck of teaching and that everyone can bring this different approach to the classroom. And it also got me thinking about our last fun segment of our podcast, which is the, I think we're now referring to it as our non-guilty pleasure (laughs) because there (laughs) should be no guilt about it. So I'm going to share with you something that's going to make me sound even more woo-woo than I probably sounded already. Um, So uh, one of my dear friends was in town and we got to chatting and we were walking around my town and we went into this store and we bought tarot cards. (laughs) And I have been having so much fun learning about tarot cards (laughs) (laughs) and like throwing my tarot cards (laughs) and giving myself reading. It's just so much fun. And to me, it also relates so much to um, the subjective um, testing that yeah. are, that's are that been used historically in psychology, mm-hmm. back to psycho- psychoanalysis and the Rorschach test and the thematic apperception test, where you're kind of getting the person's unconscious thoughts about these images that they're being shown. And so I've been, you know, I've been doing these readings and then I... Like write poems based on it, and this is silly, silly stuff like that. But it's also kind of keeping my brain alive because I'm trying to memorize the meanings behind the cards. Mm-hmm. So that is my new non guilty pleasure is reading tarot cards. And I've even thought about bringing it into the classroom to talk about a, you know, phony um, psychics, right? Um, and B, these kind of uh, unconscious processing tests, right? And C, I don't even know what, but I'm gonna find a way to give tarot <laughs> card readings in my class. <laughs> so I'm spinning around again, and I've landed on Jeff.
4: Okay. <clears throat> Gu- guilty, non-guilty, pleasure. Yes. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna share two. One. One that. Lacks pleasure and does bring real guilt.
0: Oh, no. And then
4: one that I have no guilt toward but brings a lot of pleasure. Um, the guilty the guilty non-pleasure one is that I'm a huge Knicks fan, New York Knicks. I'm a huge basketball fan, but in particular, I'm a huge New York Knicks fan. Um, I uh, would watch the Knicks with my grandfather who grew up in the Bronx uh, as a kid. And so the, uh, there's a lot of nostalgia around uh, the team and, and, and watching the games um, but they're horrible. I mean, they've been, they're just a, they're, they've been really bad for a while, but they're also just a really bad organization. And, and ownership has, has been really poor. Um, so that's a – has not brought a lot of pleasure recently. Um, oh, i And so for that, I feel shameful and, and guilty. <laughs> um, my, my non-guilty pleasure, um, the thing that came to mind for me was um, I have two young children, uh, Juliet, who is six, and Lola, who is two and a half. Juliet is six be a six yeah she's gonna be yeah she's gonna be a first grader um and um and it's it is it's unfortunate that i needed to have a reason to regress and and throw my body on the floor (laughs) and act silly Uh, you know and not to say that i wouldn't act silly as an adult but there's just a, a childish type of silly that we don't allow ourselves to bring out unless we're with children and um and i've 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 just enjoyed and appreciated the opportunity to get to do that with them so much, um, and I try to do it as much as I as I possibly can because I know the time is fleeting, uh, and mm-hmm. before I know it, they're not going to want to be rolling around on the floor with <laughs> me. Um, like I'm, I'm the one instigating it most of the time <laughs> now. Um, so that's that's my non-guilty, very pleasurable uh, thing.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Kelly, should we do an annoyingly physical contest like Rock, Paper, Scissors to see who goes next to annoy okay. all of our viewers out there? <laughs>
2: oh, sure. Okay, let's do it. Ready? Yep. One, two, three.
1: Oh, Rock beats Scissors. I win. Oh. <laughs> I think that means you go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We didn't um, establish the rules.
2: Um, what are we doing again? Oh, <laughs> yeah, the guilty pleasure thing. Okay, so... Jeff, you took the family one because, you know, kind
4: of Kelly like had kind of had like an, ang- I feel like there was some anger in, in your, your gaze when I, as I was wrapping up my non guilty pleasure and now I know why.
2: Well, I'm glad that my communication is clear. Jeff. <laughs> uh, no. Um, oh yeah. Kids are awesome. Um, okay. So for me, um, I like to travel on two wheels. Um, so it's either by a bicycle or um, I have a little Honda Ruckus scooter. It's mm. 49.9 mm. cc, so I don't need a motorcycle <laughs> license to ride it. But um, I just I don't enjoy being in a car. Um, so, like, I'm very fortunate that my commute is, like, only five and a half miles. miles. Um, my wife, her commute is, like, I think 200 yards. Um, <laughs> so like we like live right on the edge of campus where she works. But um, so we've been a one car couple for like 13 or 14 years. Oh, it's great. It's it's awesome. But um, I just, I really enjoy um, the, the freedom to like ride my bicycle to work or to ride the scooter if I don't want to show up all sweaty. Um, but uh, there's, that novel, um, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance by, uh, Robert Persig. And there's this thing where he talks about the difference between like being on a motorcycle compared to like being in a car. And that is like, when you're on a bike, like you are like part of your surrounding, you are part of the, the landscape or would have you. And, um, where in a car, like you're kind of looking at things through these frames, be it through the frame of your front window or the frame of the side windows. And it couldn't be any more true. Um, And I especially like the days when I can ride my bicycle in because like you can hear the birds and smell the air, especially when you're behind a garbage truck, you know, (laughs) but it's, it's cool. So that's, that's my, Guiltless pleasure.
4: But Kelly, what about the wind?
2: <laughs> we didn't record the wind part, so they don't know about the wind. But yes. I'm going Did... to edit this out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Kelly, okay. hates yes.
4: <laughs> Kelly hates wind. Yes. Kelly hates wind. Yeah. For those of you. You don't
2: even you... have long hair for it to tussle and us. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, see, when I took the group photo, I wasn't in it. So, yes, I have long hair. Um, uh, yeah. So, of I love all weather except for wind, and especially when I'm on a bicycle, because if you've got a strong headwind, Ooh, yeah, woo, yeah. that's rough. Tom. All right, I'm up. Like Jeff, I have a...
1: A non-guilty pleasure and a pleasure that I definitely feel some guilt about. So just a little context, like I I carry quite a bit of anxiety around with me most of the time. It can be some of those times I'm actually struggling in the classroom as often because I'm I'm overthinking things. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I relieve that anxiety, because I'm also prone to take all that anxiety right home with me, is I cook. Mm -hmm. or I, like, put on a really silly hat and pretend I'm Indiana Jones in the weekend and try to hunt for things like antique tarot cards (laughs) at little, like, junk stores and flea markets. Oh, yeah, there was one on the Antiques Roadshow. It was, like, worth 10 grand. These hand-painted, like, oh, they were great. We'll chat. So so because I love to cook, I watch a lot of cooking shows. So my my non-guilty pleasure, if you will, is, like... I'll pour a glass of wine, and I'll put on, like, the Food Network, and it'll just be me and Ina in garden. They're waiting <laughs> for Jeffrey to come home, and, like, and I'll just be, like, learning new recipes and, like, going into the kitchen and then cooking. I don't feel guilt about that. I do feel guilt about this. So we want to talk about models of bad teaching. <laughs> I've got two words— Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> someone who just yells and screams, and like I don't watch all of his shows, but I, I do watch MasterChef. and and I hold a dear place in my heart actually for MasterChef Junior, where he softens yes. up and pretends to be yes. a, a cuddly bear. I'll give you that for, that. One, for sure. Um, but he's a, a he's a can I say
4: jackass? I think the not. character he plays definitely.
1: Okay, yeah. we'll see if that gets cut. Maybe Jeff can bleep that. So, but I, without using the curse word, I will say that I'll watch these, and then I'll just be at home. And like, if something like comes out wrong, I'll be like, "Touch it, touch it. It's effing raw. I wouldn't serve that to my grandmother. or my would you serve that to your dog? That a terrible Gordon Ramsay impression. But oh, I love to just fun, say, huh? if I get excited, touch it. It's wrong. So I, I feel real guilt about that. For realsies. That's
3: awesome. I wow. feel real
1: guilt about saying things like for realsies, too, <laughs> now that I think about that.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess that brings us to the end, sadly, mm-hmm. because I think we should do this once a year. Oh, if absolutely! Not more often. Absolutely. We have all four of us on the on the mic, so thanks, guys. Thank you, <laughs> thank,
2: thank you. you. Yeah, till next year.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to Pedagogia Go Go, recorded in the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology at Northampton Community College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Our podcast daydreamer slash showrunner is Kelly Allen, and Pedagogia Gogo is produced by Jeff Armstrong. If you've got any questions, please send them to pedagogyagogo at gmail.com. Our social media handle is at pedagogyagogo, and you can stop by our website at www.pedagogyagogo.com for copies of podcast transcripts, guest assignments, and other useful tidbits. Keep in mind there are no hyphens or dots in any of the above web addresses. Until next time. This is Gina and Tom saying, take care and teach well.